From the Old City, a practical Torah commentary by Gutman Lodge. Leviticus 12, Tazria, Contamination and Circumcision. This week's portion of the Torah deals mostly with the various types of contaminations and diseases that can come to a person or to his property. They sound gruesome, even disgusting, and since we do not see them in the world today, we might think that perhaps they are merely metaphorical teachings. These physical symptoms are said to have manifested mostly due to the sin of evil gossip. But today, certainly we have more evil gossip than in those days, that we do not seem to have these diseases. Could it be that they really were misunderstood and were simply some type of rashes, leprosies, psoriasis or such? Also, the portion again mentions circumcision. The medical establishment in a modern world demeaned the Torah's teachings on both of these subjects, contaminations and circumcision. They say that circumcision is male mutation forced upon the infants that needlessly scars them both physically and emotionally for their entire lives. These contemporary thinkers also make very logical arguments when they discredit the Torah's teachings on contaminations. Modern thought and science have a wondrous general principle. Hold on to the current theory until it is disproved. The problem is that until the very day that the new discovery comes and completely nullifies the old opinion, the entire establishment fights vigorously for its soon-to-be-discarded old principle. Since so many of the details of the contaminations are unknown to us today, it's hard for us to understand much of their underlying logic and applicability. However, with circumcision, this is not true. In the Torah portion, Lech Lecha, we discussed how the African governments are praising their latest miracle discovery, that circumcising the males will reduce their chances of contracting AIDS by 60%. This discovery is providing them with a partial remedy to what until now had been a hopeless situation. The point here is that for thousands of years this medical fact was not known, so the general population never benefited from this advantage. Still, do not think for a moment that this is the reason why God commanded us to circumcise our sons. Even if we suddenly lived in a world without disease, we would still circumcise. The medical benefit is incidental to the deeper reasons. Each time we discover some practical benefit in following our age-old traditions, our beliefs in what we are doing should be strengthened but we should never think that we have come to the ultimate reason for the commandment. The full reasons go on and on beyond our capacity to understand. One of the much greater and also logical benefits to circumcision has nothing at all to do with physical health. It also provides a spiritual advantage. Circumcision is called a covenant. A covenant is a bond. Some point out that the Hebrew word circumcise is related to the word to be blunted. This reveals one of the spiritual benefits that come to a man who has been circumcised. 
without doubt, the greatest physical pull a young man wrestles with throughout most of his years is the desire for sexual satisfaction. The pull is so great that it can occupy much of his thinking. An uncircumcised male is much more sensitive to this experience and, therefore, is more strongly drawn to the sexual experience than is a circumcised male. For the circumcised male, this feeling and the accompanying extreme urgent attachment is somewhat blunted. This frees him slightly to pay more attention to, and to more easily bond with, the spiritual perspective. What a wonderful advantage this is for the spiritual seeker. The burning physical goals that man seeks to satisfy are temporary. The spiritual goal is eternal. Few people are aware of this benefit of circumcision, and perhaps many, even after hearing this fact, might very well want to say, don't bother me, I like that animal pull. But to the one who has searched and found some success in his spiritual life, he is thankful for this advantage that has helped him to come closer to attaining his goal. What does this have to do with the contaminations listed in the portion? Until recently, circumcision was almost universally demeaned. If that opinion had been allowed to reign, the other benefits to circumcision would never have been realized. So it is with the teachings of the contaminations. Even today, we can learn about the spreading of disease from the way the Torah explains their treatment and cure. For instance, until a mere 100 years ago, no one in the medical world knew that there was a need to isolate an infected person. The Torah told us this some 4,000 years ago. And for everything we learn, we realize that there must be many more precious things that we have yet to discover. For instance, we know that most of these contaminations were spiritual diseases brought about by antisocial behavior, with the main culprit being evil gossip. One of the requirements is for the stricken person to be isolated from the community, and when he sees people coming toward him, he is to pull his garment up to his lips and he is to call out, contaminated, contaminated. We see that these requirements point back to their cause. They show what the person did to bring this upon himself. Garments represent deeds, and his garments are pointing to his lips. Then he is to shout out, unclean, unclean. This tells others to stay away from him. His lips had singled out the person he spoke evil of and caused the community to isolate him. So now those very lips have brought that very treatment back onto the gossiper. These requirements are not merely vengeful punishment, but are part of the cure. When the guilty party has to go through what he caused the other person to experience, when he sees what he brought to someone else, and he now feels what that other person felt, he will be more careful not to do it again. God meting out reward and punishment is one way to look at life's actions and reactions, or we can just see them as cause and effect. Conceive and give birth. This week's portion begins with a very strange concept. It says, when a woman conceives and gives birth. We know there's a strict rule in the Torah that it does not use an extra word, 
So why does it say conceives here? Why didn't it just simply say when a woman gives birth? Has it ever been that a woman could possibly give birth and not have conceived? For many thousands of years, this was a good question. But today, we see that women do give birth without having conceived. Women with fertility problems often have their egg placed into a vessel, mixed with their husband's sperm, and then after the embryo attains a certain stage of development, it is implanted into their wombs. These women will give birth without having conceived. There are many surrogate mothers today who carry children that are not even from their own eggs at all, but are from complete strangers and are merely implanted in them. How many Torah scholars for thousands of years had vexed themselves over this sentence? And we today can assume that the Torah is making a distinction between the woman who conceived and then gave birth from the woman who gave birth without ever having conceived. There is one dot com.